Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Did you know that you can claim CME credits for many of the TMA Practice Well podcast episodes? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash CME. T-O-G-O, to register for your episode and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and standards at the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products devices, or services may be discussed in the context at the CME activity. The planners and speakers for this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this program should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney nor should the information and opinions presented as part of this program be construed as establishing medical standards of care for the purposes of litigation, including expert testimony. The standard of care is dependent upon the particular facts and circumstances of each individual case, and no generalization can be made that would apply in all cases. Hi, I'm Heather Betridge, Associate Vice President of Practice Management Services at the Texas Medical Association. And this is Hot Topics, TMA's newest monthly podcast series with one of our favorite attorneys, Amanda Hill. Over the past decade, we've seen a lot of movement amongst medical practices, but we've also seen a lot of physicians starting their own private practices and growing extremely quickly. It can be overwhelming, almost daunting, trying to navigate these situations with contracts and clauses and and trying to keep up with all the rules, compliance, and regulatory changes. And it can be an expensive learning experience when physicians get into an unfavorable agreement or they're just too busy to think about regulations and compliance. Running a medical practice brings challenges for which medical school most likely didn't adequately prepare physicians. While we can't rewind the clock and take physicians back to school or their residency or fellowship programs and build in all the practice management, business development, and lessons learned into their training, but TMA can introduce physicians to content experts like Amanda Hill. Amanda is a speaker, author, and well-known healthcare attorney who serves physicians and practices throughout Texas. Welcome back, Amanda. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. Today, we are talking about corporate changes and trying to keep up with infrastructure changes. Let's actually talk about 
uh, small practices and quick growth first. Because if a practice isn't growing necessarily, then physicians might think about making a formal corporate change. So Amanda, in your experience, what are some of the most common things you see happening when physician practices grow faster than anticipated? Well, that is a great question. And this happens more than you would imagine. I have a lot of doctors that start small. They have one doctor, then they add another, then all of a sudden they turn around and they hire a nurse practitioner and a PA and staff. And whoa, all of a sudden, this doctor is not a solo practice. He's running a midsize practice and it just happens overnight. And then they call me and they say, I don't think I have all of the policy and procedures that I need. And when I ask them about HIPAA, they say, oh, right, we have something in some book somewhere. It's on a shelf. When I ask them if they have a compliance plan, they look at me like, I don't think I need that. So, you know, sometimes there's a manual that's like four inches thick and it's sitting on a shelf and they've never read it. And that to me is not helpful. So I had a client once that asked, got a Medicaid audit and had money that he had to return. And he came to me and, and I said, what policies do you have on this? And he literally said, none. So this is a problem. Um, and it's really not a, a problem that we need to put fault on the doctors. It's really just something that happens when you grow really fast. Um, so I always try to tell my clients like, it's okay. You didn't realize you needed all these things because it was just you and you hung out a shingle. But now that you have a mid-sized group, um, all of a sudden these have a lot more importance. So yeah, you have to really roll up your sleeves and catch up, I like to say. You are so right. There's so many pieces to the practice management and business development puzzle. And I will add that no matter how good a physician's planning and intentions are, things sometimes just slip through the cracks. We see the same things when we go into practices. There's no compliance plan for checks and balances. There's no designated staff members assigned to be compliance officers, no job descriptions, um, and policies and procedures are missing or outdated, and they are still shrink-wrapped. So let's dip a little deeper into compliance. What's the first steps a physician should take if they want to get things in order and be in compliance from the get-go? And by compliance, I mean the full spectrum. So HIPAA, OSHA, billing, human resources, and so on, where should they start? Well, you know, let me have a different approach with this. How about they start with the recognition that it's important? Um, I have a group, <laughs> this is an interesting story. A practice manager called me from this practice and said, help. Oh my gosh, Amanda, we have so much that we need. We lack a compliance plan. We don't really know what we're doing in this particular area. You know, our HR policies are bad. We don't have an employee policy that's any good. We need all of this help. And the physician of the practice said, I think that's that's crazy. We don't need all of this. That's just waste of money and it's extra fees. And it feels like a bunch of mumbo jumbo. I'm the director of this practice and I can handle it all. And I just sat there because I know that I'm going to get a call from that practice in about six months where they've had an audit or they have had a review or something has gone terribly wrong and they didn't have any guidance to help direct the ship. So the first step on what a physician should do if they want to get things in line is recognize there's a problem because it's if, if your practice manager is suffering, 
um, and they can't do it all. Or if you are the only one that does everything, which a lot of doctors take on so much, it creates an ex extreme amount of burnout because it's overwhelming and it just gets ignored. So once it's established that, yeah, perhaps we need to catch up on this infrastructure, right? Maybe this is a real problem. Then try starting with a basic employee handbook. And an employee handbook does not have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be really long. You can find drafts online to start with, you know, use them as a template. But make sure that you outline the expectations of your staff as far as things like working hours, you know, time off, dress code, you know, those kind of things that you can outline in a policy. That's really helpful to keep in one place that you can refer to. So there's not a lot of confusion. If someone ends up getting fired or gets disciplined, you can point to the handbook. Now, that's just a practically speaking of the first step. But the next one, I guess, from a lawyer I'm more concerned about is a compliance plan. I have a lot of doctors that say, oh, we're in compliance. Generally, we listen to some, some talks and go to CME about it. But what about an actual compliance plan for your practice? It used to be that it was encouraged, right? That HIPAA would, the, all of the rules and regulations said that they would prefer that a group had a compliance plan. But now after um, the ACA, it's a requirement. And I try to tell doctors all the time, if you don't have a compliance plan, you're not in compliance with federal law. Um, it's every single practice needs a compliance plan. And let me just interlude with a quick story about compliance plans. So I represented a group in Dallas and it was a very small shop. It was only one physician, a handful of nurse practitioners, an audiologist, it was an ENT practice. And they asked me to write their compliance plan, which of course I did. And in the process, when I sent them the final version, he said to me, well, this is the intro, but where's the actual plan? <laughs> I said, this is it. And I said, how long did you expect it to be? And he was shocked that it was only 10 pages long. And instead of being a binder with tabs and bullets and wording and legalese, the OIG only has seven required elements to be in every plan. It's not that difficult. And look up those elements, because if you have a compliance plan that has the required elements, the main thing is that you use it. And I know that's kind of shocking, but doctors need to hear that having a plan on a shelf is worthless if you don't use it. So it needs to be something that's really understandable that you can put in place. Now, after you have an employee handbook and you write a robust compliance plan that you actually can use, then review your contracts. And I don't just mean physician contracts or contracts with your nurse practitioner. I mean all of your contracts with your vendors, right? Contracts with the local hospital. What contracts do you have in place? And if you do have employment contracts, do you have non-competes and non-solicitation provisions and things that actually protect your practice. So that's the next step. And then after that, I would really get into your patient forms. You know, when you set up a practice and you say, we have a notice of privacy practices and we have some informed consents, and then we kind of forget about everything else. So you think you're in compliance, but really look into it. I mean, if a patient doesn't show, do they know if there's a fee? Is there a fee? right? Is, are the informed consents for procedures something you just printed off the internet or are they something you've actually reviewed and thought about? 
So it's nice to have really strong patient intake forms. And if you haven't looked at them in a while, pull them up, right? Pretend, you know, have a fake patient go through and say, what, what forms are you going to give to that patient? Look at every one of them and see if you don't need to make some changes, update them. Uh, that's something that falls by the wayside. So again, you know, trying to catch up is hard, Heather. And I know it's hard because, you know, physicians are busy treating patients, but if they can just consider it something that's important, it'll get done. Um, but you really have to think about, you know, who's your privacy officer? Who's your security officer? Who's in charge of making sure the compliance in this office is strong? And it can't always be the doctor that runs the practice and sees the patients. Yes, I agree. All of these will help physicians get started in the right direction. A couple of operational considerations and efficiencies that uh, physicians might consider when establishing or trying to strengthen their overall uh, practice infrastructure um, should be put in place too. And I'll just touch on a, a few things um, like take the time to really analyze staffing needs and the responsibilities assigned to each position, meaning what do you need done and who should do it? So pull specialty benchmarks from a reliable source like MGMA. They provide regional and national staffing benchmark data by specialty and practice size. And that process can be quite eye-opening. So if your practice has, say, 10 support staff and benchmarks indicate other practices have six, why is that? And then also assess the practice's workflow. Once a practice has the appropriate number of staff members and the staff all in the right positions, follow the flow of work and patients throughout the clinic. So starting with the very first phone call and then follow that patient through the office and ask questions like, how much time did that take? Is there a bottleneck or what would make things easier or more timely? And then analyze that information to identify what's missing and where improvements can be made. Also, automate processes as much as possible because tasks completed manually can really slow things down and leave a lot of room for human error. And then lastly, calculate and monitor the key financial and performance indicators. So things like charges, payments, adjustments, and accounts receivable, the collection ratios, and make comparisons month over month and year over year. This will allow you to really get a handle on the practice's overall viability and opportunity for improvements and growth. You know, Heather, that brings up a good point. Um, I have heard from several doctors in the last six months alone that they're having challenges when it comes to trusting their staff to get the accounting right, the charges, the adjustments. Maybe there's been some errors made or they put their trust in the wrong people. Or as you said, they either under or overstaffed. And I'm going to be honest, that's probably because, you know, doctors love treating patients, right? They really love going in there and figuring out what's the problem and solving it. And they have a great relationship with their patients and all this other stuff sounds like garbage, but they're running a practice. And every one of you listening, right, has to have some of the business mindset to be able to run a practice. So it's, 
it's hard. I will say, I hear it all the time from my clients, you know, well, I don't want to hurt this person's feelings. They've been working for me for years. They're not really good, or they might not really understand it, but I don't know how to let them go. Or maybe they do have four staff when they should only have one, or they put trust in someone that really wasn't very good. It's, it's really hard, but it is important to sit down and say, this is a business you know, medical groups can run into the ground so easily by something so simple, like you're saying about, you know, missing deadlines to file for insurance claims. And that comes because your staff isn't doing the right thing or, you know, over utilizing expenses and you're just so expense heavy, you can't make money. So everything you mentioned, right, the uh, the under and over, over staffing, going through the workflow, automating, is part of running a successful business. And they call me a lot of times when they're at their wits end, right? They've run their business into the ground, they're burned out, and they just want to stop practicing medicine. And I don't want anyone to get there. So if they stop now, and I think if you really go through these things and make some hard decisions, you can get it back on track. Yes. You know, and there's a couple of common problems and questions that we're constantly asked, which in which deliberate strategic planning would have been incredibly beneficial. So one of the problems we frequently see is that decision makers just jump in feet first on a decision or a change without asking questions first. So stop and ask the questions before going down that path. Do they really understand the problem? What's the cost going to be and so on? Far too often we see rushed um, or ill-informed decisions where a little planning and asking a few questions would have led them down a very different path. And then a question that we get asked all the time, and maybe you do too, is, is it time to add a, a, another physician or a new non-physician practitioner? And again, ask questions like how far out does a new patient um, have to book an appointment or um, how would you utilize and bill for the NPP? So you can see a little planning can help answer that question. And real quickly, before we move on to corporate changes, if you are in need of a starting place for operating best practices, you do not have to reinvent the wheel. Look to your professional associations for online templated employee handbooks and medical practice uh, operating policies and procedures manuals, including TMA. We have one for you. I'll include the link in the episode description to make it easy for you. I would highly encourage you, as Heather said, to go use any TMA templates that you can find to get caught up on this infrastructure. But I will also say that it's not a lot of times on your radar to think about what's going to happen five years down the line because you're so worried about keeping up today. But it's not just about reviewing your current plans and policies. It's about creating a roadmap for growth to where you can really see how you're going to get there. Just like if you're creating a five-year plan for your life or you're thinking about you know, how many years until I retire, it's the same with healthcare. I mean, Healthcare is governed by a myriad of regulatory bodies, lots of regulatory guidance, lots of laws, lots of fraud and abuse issues out there looming. You can't just link up with anyone and make as much money as you want. So think about a roadmap of how can I grow this practice? How can I make more of an income, work at a reasonable pace, 
you know, build the infrastructure around me safely. And to do that, you have to sit down and really kind of think about what the future looks like so you can do it safely. Yes. Yes. Good point. Yes. Amanda, it is always such a pleasure to speak with you and to listen to your practical, just real life examples and experiences. How can physicians learn more? Well, you can email me. I'm, I try to send everyone who sends me an email a summary of the podcast. I'm help very open to hearing a few thoughts about different topics coming up. But yeah, get a hold of me on my website, hillhealthlaw.com, and just reach out on the contact form and I'll be happy to answer any questions. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for speaking with me today. And to our listeners, a link to email Amanda is included in the episode description. To claim CME, just click the link to the TMA Education Center and follow the instructions on the CME to go page for this episode. We hope you found our discussion beneficial. Check back for our next episode of Hot Topics, where Amanda will share some tips for physicians planning for partial retirement or to sell their practice. Until next time, stay well. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit texmed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today.